Welcome to What's Not Priced In, a weekly investor podcast by Fattail Investment Research. In a world of confusion and rapid change, experts Kirill Prakopenka and Greg Canavan look behind the headlines to unveil the hidden opportunities within the Australian stock market. Now, let's dive in to today's episode. There is no such thing as a free lunch, so don't feast if you're not prepared to foot the bill. With the market betting on a soft landing despite high interest rates winding their way through the economy, are markets expecting a free lunch? And are they prepared for when the bill comes due? In today's episode, we discuss the outlook for interest rates, stretched stock valuations, the significance of the low equity risk premium, US tech stocks, and moves in the energy market. What's not priced in? The cost of lunch. Hello, and welcome back to now the 11th episode of What's Not Priced In. Greg, as always, glad to have you here. How are you? I'm very well, Kirill, and we should point out we're recording this one a day earlier so we can get it out a little bit earlier. So we're recording this mm-hmm. on Thursday afternoon, just a bit after 2 p.m., uh, which means we can we can get it to the listeners a little bit earlier on a Friday rather than at the death on Friday afternoon when people have probably got better things to do than to listen to a finance podcast after a long week. So yeah, exactly. uh, that's, the, that's the plan from now on. We'll be getting it out a little earlier on a Friday, right? Yep. So maybe uh, keep a lookout on your YouTube channel. We might upload it a little bit earlier for that. Well, I thought clearly maybe the biggest uh, news of, of the week was the Reserve Bank and it decided to hold rates steady. Uh, although uh, Philip Lowe did say that further monetary tightening may be required. Uh, but a lot of people, I think, now are saying that this may very well be the peak. I think Westpac released a note, I think, today saying this this may w- well represent the final uh, terminal rate. And I think the next decision would actually be a rate cut. So what did you make of it and what do you think it's it's heading to from here? Yeah, that's uh, pretty much in line with what we've been talking about on this podcast for the past few episodes. I can't remember which one it was actually, but I think we did mention that uh, interest rates are probably done. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, th- they are saying that there might be one more, and I think that is just something that central bankers need to do in order to maintain, uh, I guess, that psychological pressure that if there are any. Um, inflationary pressures popping up mm. from somewhere that they will continue to raise rates. Uh, but that was, as we've spoken about a lot, the the lagged impact of monetary tightening does take time to flow through. And even if they were to go on hold now, you would still see the impacts mm-hmm. of the past tightening for some time to come. And as we've spoken about before also, is the uh, fixed rate uh, tightening that is, that is underway. And this quarter that we're in especially mm-hmm. uh, the September quarter can't remember exact number but I think it was something like uh, maybe 80 to 90 billion of uh, fixed rates roll off into mm-hmm. a variable rate uh, this month and over the course of this year uh, the Reserve Bank's balance sheet which is a reflection of that fixed rate uh, moving to variable rate the, the balance sheet shrinks by 15% so there's a fair bit of quantitative tightening going on mm-hmm. with the RBA which translates into monetary tightening as well so you know I'm in that camp I think the mm-hmm. the uh, rate rises have probably um, done enough for the time being the inflation numbers we saw last week uh, indicate that if you annualize the quarterly uh, numbers that the the rate of inflation is coming down quite sharply. Uh, the producer price index, which was out mm-hmm. last week as well, I think that at an annualized rate of two percent, 
so there is some evidence showing that inflation is getting under control again. I guess the biggest longer-term threat is on the fiscal side, and I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit, given the news we've seen out of the US, but even in Australia, the, the fiscal spending uh, to me is quite stimulatory, uh, and even though the government tells you that they're fighting inflation via their uh, the budget, they're not at all. There's a huge amount of spending going on, which is putting upward pressure uh, in, in you know parts of the economy. So that is a bit of a counterbalance to mm-hmm. monetary policy. Uh, but I think for the, for now, you could say that monetary tightening is probably done. Yeah, but even though even though it is done, I think it, it's still going to hurt. And I think that sometimes that maybe what's underpriced it's that uh, uh, the peak may have been reached. But like you said, and like you always like to remind uh, viewers, monetary policy acts with a lag. And I think over the last few um, statements from Philip Lowe, I think he's also sort of now mentioning those policy lags a bit more. So I think in the latest statement, he said um, there are also uncertainties regarding the lags in the operation of monetary policy and how firms pricing decisions and wages will respond to the slowing in the economy at a time when the labor market remains tight. And I think um, with what you were saying with the roll off of mortgages, I think I have quite a few friends now who are saying, oh, in, uh, in September, in the next month, uh, their mortgages will reset. And I think they'll be paying maybe double what they've been paying before on mortgages. And uh, we've already seen that, uh, what, what are they called? Consumers are retrenching their spending. I think even Philip Lowe admitted that in aggregate consumption growth has slowed substantially. And I think today we also got uh, retail sales volumes data, which showed for the third quarter in a row, now uh, retail volumes have actually declined. And uh, I think it's been, I think the last time that's happened was in 2008, if you minus the, the pandemic. So clearly things aren't looking that great, even if rates don't rise from here. Absolutely. And retail volumes, that's a sure sign that uh, yep. even though you might have an inflationary backdrop the fact that mm-hmm. volumes are falling indicates that uh, you know the, the consumer is under under stress and I think I pointed out in one of the publications uh, this week that I was that I was writing for for fat tail investment research that if you look at retail sales they've been effectively flat for the past three months on a year-on-year basis mm-hmm. they just haven't haven't grown at all and that's in nominal terms mm-hmm. and the nominal expansion of the economy in the March quarter was around the 8% level mm-hmm. uh, and real growth was um, 0.8%. Um, so there's a lot of inflation in the economy and that inflation isn't even translating to help the retail sales. So it just shows mm-hmm. that in real terms, it's going backwards at a pretty rapid clip. And as you said, if if we've got more of these mortgages resetting, uh, a lot more costs coming through on that side for the economy to absorb over the next few months. Uh, you know, I think there's going to be a fair bit of uh, damage to be seen. Although you could argue that the retail pro- sector priced a lot of that in a few months ago. I mm-hmm. remember when we were, we were talking about it, yep. those stocks had fallen. Many stocks in that sector had fallen 50% in a very short mm-hmm. space of time. So the market was very quick to look at some of those stocks mm-hmm. and say, um, you know, the outlook isn't good. And we've since seen a bounce from there. But I, I personally, mm-hmm. I wonder whether this bounce is a little bit too optimistic. I think, to your point earlier, rates are not just because they're on hold doesn't necessarily mean they're going to go down straight away. And we've demonstrated before that in an easing cycle, mm-hmm. that means that the Reserve Bank's easing because the economy is showing real signs of, of trouble. And 
the stock market doesn't necessarily rise in that in that type of environment. So um, yeah, definitely caution from a stock market perspective. Yeah, and I just wanted to read out uh, one statistic that I found quite interesting from the from the ABS. It said retail sales volumes are down one point four percent year on year, and outside the pandemic years, this is the first time since nineteen ninety one that sales volumes fell year on year. So that's a very long time ago. That's uh, older than I am. Well, so I, I remember nineteen ninety one. Cool, was it? Yep. Uni um, having a socially acceptable form of unemployment during the the big recession around that time, uh, but yeah, I mean that that was Australia went through a, a very tough period back in the the early nineties based on that. Um, like you know, a lot of people like to tell you oh, I was paying eighteen sixteen yeah, percent interest yeah. rates around that time, and yeah, sure, that was a very sharp hit to the the economy, and we went through a very deep recession. So clearly, the consumer side of things is is bearing the brunt of, of the tightening whereas there's other parts of the market based on the huge amount of fiscal spending mm. uh, that isn't feeling that and of course anyone who doesn't have debt and has net cash is benefiting mm. from it so there's really two different parts of the market that are benefiting or, or not mm. feeling the pain as much as the people with uh, debt levels and mortgages that are really feeling the pinch yeah and before we move on to the next topic, I was just going to maybe throw it out to the viewers, do a little uh, survey and uh, say if, if you're experiencing any, um, if your rates are going up, are you sort of, I'm going to throw a question to you and are you um, spending less? So maybe we can do a little fat tail investment survey in, in the comments below. Leave any any comments if you're seeing in your own personal finances, if you're sort of spending less. But anyway... Uh, well, I guess the, I think, the interesting thing from that yep. that I'd probably be want to know is are, are people having to dig into their savings purely yep. to maintain a standard of living mm-hmm. or are they cutting spending, reducing a standard of living out of, out of necessity? Um, so, yeah, that would be interesting if anyone wants to pitch in with some, with some comments. That would be great. Yeah, great. Well, I think the, the next logical, I think, uh, topic would be to go from where interest rates are and where they're headed to sort of how the market is positioning itself. And I think you've got some really interesting stats about both the US market and also the Australian market in terms of forward estimates and price earnings ratios. And I think I'm really excited to, to get into that. Yeah. So let's, uh, we'll look at the, the US and the Aussie markets. I mm-hmm. think, um, as you said, what's, what's interesting here is just to look at, um, what the, what the market's pricing in at the moment, so we can then work out whether uh, it's it's a relatively uh, uh, useful um, thing what's going on, or whether there's you know whether there's some more uh, what do you call it uh, more to look into to see whether yeah. it's an accurate representation of where where things are at. So this uh, chart here, I don't know if you can see that. Have, have you got yeah, a S and P five hundred earnings chart? So I pulled yep. this out of Yardini, uh, Ed Yardini's blog. Um, if anyone wants to check that out, it's a free resource. It's got a huge amount of information. I think the challenge is really just trying to find it all. Um, but one of the areas that I do look at uh, often is the S&P 500 earnings estimates, just to get a sense of where what, what the market's looking at. Um, so you've got, uh, just to try to, put this into a bit of perspective here you've got 2023 earnings per share estimates 2024 calendar earnings per share estimates and then you've got these forward estimates which are effectively 
tw- I think 12 months forward from mm-hmm. uh, from this date. So it's a blend of 2023 and 2024. So the important thing to look at here is that in 2023 to 2024, the market is expecting an EPS increase of uh, just over 12%. I think it's about 12.5%. Mm-hmm. Sorry, on the latest numbers here. Uh, yeah, it's about 12.5%. So even though... And let me just go down and look at the closer ones we've got here. And this is 2023 by quarter. So in the first quarter of 2023, year on year, earnings per share uh, were going backwards. The second quarter was the real, mm-hmm. I guess, nadar for uh, negative earnings growth year on year. Uh, we're still expecting negative earnings growth quarter on quarter for Q3. But it, then it bottoms and starts to turn up in in Q4. So you're looking at about eight uh, percent year on year growth in Q4, and then that translates into obviously further growth again into 2024. So the question is, uh, with the US, in addition to Australia raising rates consecutively throughout mm-hmm. 2022 and 2023, I'm I'm wondering how to think about what that means for 2024. Yeah. And on the surface, I would say, wow, that's uh, the, the market is pricing in, you know, way too much for 2024, purely because as a, we keep saying, the lagged impact of monetary policy, the way that flows through to the economy, it will still take some time to get there. And my, my view would be by late 2023, early 2024, the economy will be much weaker uh, than what it is now, and you know, there's the risk that these earnings estimates uh, get wound back. I actually haven't looked at the the PE ratio, but my, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking the PE ratio for the S and P 500 is around about 19, 20 times uh, mm-hmm. those forecast earnings, and there's downside risk to that. So. Again, uh, you know, as we've said before, and we'll show you some charts later, that the market mm-hmm. seems very, very stretched when you look at yep. it relative to where interest rates are and relative to where, let's say, the risk-free rate, which is the bond yield is. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I would say to keep in mind about FY24 and why it might not be as bad um, as I'm, you know, maybe thinking is that it, it's an election year and... Uh, Throughout history, election years have been pretty, pretty bullish. Uh, mm-hmm. And if we look at why that might be bullish, let's just quickly jump over to the uh, U.S. Treasury's estimate of uh, the fiscal deficit for next year. And the fiscal year 2024 is the year to September. Um, mm-hmm. So, given that we've got a election in November 2024, all this spending is obviously going to be. Um, done by then, but just to show you the difference. So this year, and this is mass; these are massive numbers. This year, the U.S. government um, is on track to generate or record a fiscal deficit of one point five, nearly one point six trillion dollars, mm-hmm. in an economy that's you know doing quite well. And I, th- again, I haven't got the number in front of me, but off the top of my head, I think that's around about five point five percent of GDP. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got a, uh, a fiscal deficit of 5.5, maybe 6% of GDP 
in a market that in an economy that's expanding. I mean, these are yeah. huge deficits to be running. And then next year, that goes to 1.8, 1.85 trillion dollars. So it's expanding again. Uh, if the U.S. economy was to shrink next year, or, or or to not grow as much as forecasts are projected, that percentage of GDP number would be even bigger. Uh, so clearly, there's a huge amount of spending going on, which, mm-hmm. as I said, could be bullish for the economy because a lot of this spending is this um, uh, interestingly named Inflation Reduction Act, which is literally going to cause inflation. Um, yep. It should be called the Inflation Production Act because <laughs> there is a huge amount of spending going into uh, into this green energy transition and. When you really look at it, the green energy transition is a massive boondoggle for uh, vested interests, um, huge amount of subsidies, huge amount of money going into higher energy, effectively higher energy costs. And there is a bit of a lie going around that renewables are going to uh, are going to result in lower energy costs, mm-hmm. uh, and that's just not based on the num based on the proper modeling it's just not going to happen mm. and, and just based on uh the experience of countries like germany germany is uh has spent literally hundreds of billions if not trillions on its energy transition over the past 10 years and it it is not it is still using considerable amounts of oil gas uh going back to coal it's crazily mm. shut down it's nuclear it's um industry uh, Energy costs are increasing. Its industry manufacturing sector is uh, under the pump because of it. So I guess what I'm trying to say is all this money is going into effectively unproductive investments that are going to raise the cost Mm -hmm. base of an economy, and that will create longer-term structural inflation. It won't um, won't be good for the economy, but it may help the market in the short term. Um, And then... Let's just go on to the Aussie market. So we, we could sort of talk about this a bit more because, you know, yeah. Fitch came out just, what was it, yesterday uh, and cut US credit rating mm-hmm. partly on the back of this spending uh, and then the market sold off on the back of that. But I just think the market sold off because it needed an excuse to. It had just gone up nearly every day for a couple of months and it's yeah. it's got really um, overly, overly priced. Uh, and we'll have a look at some of the tech charts later to show you where the, where the risk is in that. Uh, but let's just turn to the Aussie market for a moment. Um, why isn't that changing? Here we go. Excuse me. Yep. <coughs> oh, I just got something in my throat there. Okay, so Aussie market. This is uh, consensus earnings forecast. Um, are looking at negative 2% earnings growth for FY24. Mm-hmm. So that's slightly different to the US, the US's calendar year, whereas this is the current financial year that we're in from uh, 1st of July to 30th of June next year. So mm-hmm. we're looking at negative 2% earnings growth, but the ASX 200 still trades on a PE of around 15 times those uh, forward earnings, which translates into a earnings yield of 6.66%. Uh, and if you look at the risk-free rate, which is the 10-year government bond yield, that's around mm-hmm. 4%. So what that's saying in, in you know plain vanilla terms is the equity risk premium, that is the additional return you get for taking on the risk of, of buying into uh, equities or stocks, 
it's just 2.66%, which is very, very thin. Um, and, and that was the conclusion uh, when we chatted to Romano mm-hmm. from uh, Katana Asset Management a couple of weeks ago. He was talking about the equity risk premium and uh, as a uh, as a reason why the market was quite expensive. Uh, and mm-hmm. you know, this certainly reiterates that point, even though the market doesn't have any growth um, forecast over the next 12 months, still trading on a on a historical PE where generally the market is is growing. So the market's either looking through uh, 2024 and seeing growth in 2025, or it's just plain expensive. And I think my view is it's expensive. And to show you why it's even more expensive uh, is when you take out the banks and resources, mm-hmm. the ASX 100, uh, the median expectation is for 10% EPS growth of the of the stocks, so there is a bit of growth priced in there. But yep. if you take out those banks and resources, like I looked at their PE ratios, right? So BHP uh, is on an FY twenty four PE of twelve point one. Rio's ten times. Fortescue's ten times. NAB uh, twelve point four times. ANZ eleven point three times. Mm-hmm. Westpac uh, eleven point one times, and the outlier is uh, CBA Commonwealth Bank at eighteen times next year's earnings. Mm-hmm. So nearly all those stocks are trading well below the market on a PE, which means if you were to exclude them from the PE, the rest of the market is probably I don't know the number, but you know you're probably looking at a at a PE ratio up around. 18, 19, 20 times, mm-hmm. maybe around the same level as, as the US market, which is heavily dominated by tech. So it tells me that if you think about the lagged impact of monetary policy, how it's going to slow the domestic economy, mm-hmm. the stimulus from China that everyone's waiting for isn't coming and it probably won't. Uh, so th- to me, that EPS growth of 10% that is forecast for the stocks uh, minus the banks and the resources is that's a risk to the downside and a miss on those numbers is not priced into the market at all uh, so yeah I mean I, th- I think you know just to sum up there the, the market is expensive relative to the cost of money relative yeah. to where interest rates are and even though interest rates are on hold uh, they're not necessarily coming down anytime soon. And just to give you, I've got a chart here, I'll quickly show you. So this is the uh, an Aussie bond ETF, which is IAF, if anyone wants to look it mm. up, it's just a, a composite bond uh, ETF relative to the ASX. And I went back as far as the history would allow, back to 2012. Okay, so this is a bond ETF relative to the ASX 200. Up here, Bonds are expensive relative to stocks. Stocks are cheap relative to bonds. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much the case in uh, 2012. And over that time, bonds have just been getting cheaper relative to stocks or put mm-hmm. another way, stocks have been getting more expensive relative to bonds. Um, and at this level, you would say that, uh, and look, it doesn't really help that we've only got 12, mm-hmm. 10, 10, 11 years of data, but it is it is at, at a relatively low level. So, in and it's tricky because everyone's saying, well, uh, you know, there's inflation. Uh, the mm-hmm. U.S. is going to issue a huge amount of debt. 
therefore bond yields are at risk of moving higher. Mm -hmm. If bond yields are at risk of moving higher, then stocks are more expensive um, yep. because they're already they're already expensive mm -hmm. um, based on on these levels here. Um, so yeah, I just thought I'd, I'd point that out. Well, I, I think I have a question based on that. With if um, bonds are so so cheap relative to stocks and the equity risk premium is is so low, why, why do you think that is? Why is it? Why are the Aussie stocks so cheap at the moment, given everything that's sort of surrounding the macroeconomic picture? Why are bonds so cheap? Do you mean? Yep. Uh, well, I guess we haven't had uh, ten-year bond yields up around four percent for a long time. And and look, bonds wouldn't be cheap relative to equities if equities were 20% less than what they are now. So I, I, I'm not quite sure if the question is why are bonds so cheap? I would say maybe why are equities priced this way when yeah. bonds are priced where they are. Exactly. So as I said, if bonds are if, if bonds keep selling off here in terms of the bond yields, I should say, if bond yields keep going mm -hmm. higher, then that just puts more pressure on equities because that equity risk premium just gets lower mm -hmm. and lower and lower. Um, and the only thing that would see bond yields for is if we went into more of a slowdown, more of a mm -hmm. recessionary environment, and uh, the nominal growth in the economy slowed down and the mm -hmm. real growth in the economy slowed down. I mean, it was only... What was it? Point uh, two percent was the real real growth uh, in the in the March quarter, or point eight percent annualized. So, mm -hmm. real growth is is quite slow. So you could probably argue that four percent four percent nominal uh, isn't isn't too bad. And we and we've spoken before about real rates and how real rates are the mm -hmm. highest they've been uh, in 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 many years in the US and Australia. So. Uh, and you know, I, I've spoken about bonds. It's not I'm not really a bond person, but I have recommended bonds to my subscribers just to have a bit of uh, defensiveness and 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 a, an alternative, just to maybe park some money in while we're waiting mm -hmm. for uh, stocks to get a little bit more attractively priced. Yeah, and I think maybe I'm sort of throwing you under the bus here, but what do you think is the is a reasonable equity risk premium for the for the Aussie market so it's about 2.6% now do you see that it should really be about 5% or 4% uh, I, I guess that the way to answer that question is the the market like no one really knows um, mm -hmm. i think you know when I, we spoke last week about the valuation issue i generally mm -hmm. use and have used for a long time uh, an 8% discount rate uh, so if and that was back when uh, the the risk free rate was two and three <clears> percent, <throat> so effectively I was looking at a a five to six percent mm -hmm. equity risk premium. One of the things I, I've been thinking about in in the years to come, I, I might have to, especially if we go into a a more of a structural inflationary mm -hmm. environment, where a four percent bond yield maybe is a bit more of a normal thing in a growing economy. Uh, maybe you want to bump your uh, discount rate up to nine percent. Uh, or even 10%, and, and in which case mm -hmm. you're still giving yourself a, an equity risk premium of, of mm -hmm. 5%. In answer to your question, in, in bullish times, the equity risk premium shrinks. In bearish times, it expands. But if you use a, a, a pretty constant level in your valuations, you're, you're going to be reasonably okay, uh, not get blown up too much, uh, and, and be able to pick up some pretty good bargains in in the downtimes when the market's equity risk premium does blow out a bit. Mm. 
So I don't know if I gave you an answer, but I'd probably say four or five percent. <laughs> four or five percent would be would be reasonable, I would say. Yep, and it's pretty much not not reasonable territory at the moment. So. I don't think so. Yeah, but you know, it's a market, right. and the market's obviously not concerned about that. Uh, and that's the be- the beauty of it. You don't have to play. You can just say, "Well, I'll just wait for that to get a little bit more attractive." Thank you. Or you just look for individual stocks that are giving you the opportunity to make that required return of eight percent or whatever you plug into your into your into your model. Yep. Well, I think now speaking of individual stocks, we may turn to to tech stocks. And I know you have some some interesting charts with uh, with all of the hype stocks like Nvidia. Yeah, let's do that because. Um, this goes to the, the conversation uh, we had about uh, about valuations and about, mm-hmm. especially in the US market. Uh, and the US market has just been on a tear uh, for a long time. I actually forgot to check today, but every time we do this, we, we put up the uh, <laughs> CNN Fear and Greed Index. And yep. I looked yesterday and it was still, it was still in extreme greed mode. And you know, I can't say that I've looked at, this indicator every day for years on end, but I don't remember a time where it spent nearly two months in extreme mm. greed. I mean, that's that's pretty pretty unusual, especially in a case where you don't really have earnings that are expanding. You don't have mm. an underlying fundamentals that justify that extreme yep. greed stance. It's really, really strange. So um, I went and had a look at some of the tech stocks in the last week or so, and I thought they'd be good to uh, to show people. Uh, and for those who are listening, you probably do need to look at these charts, but I'll try and explain it as we go along. So we've got the Apple chart here. And what I want to highlight is the divergence between the price and the momentum. So this is an RSI indicator mm-hmm. down below and RSI is relative strength index. So it just gives you an idea of what the, the short-term momentum behind the price mm-hmm. is. And while this isn't a uh, a guaranteed indicator, and none of them are. I just think it's worth looking at when it is symptomatic across a sector or across mm-hmm. a number of of key stocks. And Apple's obviously the biggest stock on the market. I think it is. Um, and so here we have a peak in the RSI uh, at the end of June, and the RSI has started to drop off mm-hmm. after June, but the price kept going higher. So that's a, a key divergence. Uh, Apple's broken out above its old high, by the way. So that's uh, that's interesting. Microsoft broke out above its old high, but then rejected that pretty quickly and he's, mm-hmm. he's back down there now. And while the divergence isn't quite as uh, pronounced as what it was with yeah. Apple, uh, you're seeing this RSI um, falling off as, at the same time as the price made new highs. So that's divergence. NVIDIA, it's quite extreme here. This was back when... Geez, it might have been when we did our first episode, Carol, 30th of yep, May. Our very first episode, yeah. Yep. We talked about this. So 30th of May, that was when the momentum to the upside was strongest. The share price has kept going higher since, but the the momentum has started to wane and it's really dropped off there. So there's been a, a quite a, a notable divergence with NVIDIA. And then combining, obviously, those three stocks as well as seven others, uh, you're seeing a similar pattern here with the Fang, uh, the Fang index, mm-hmm. which, from memory, I think it's the top ten uh, tech stocks in the US. Mm-hmm. So it includes Google, Amazon, Netflix, uh, yeah, a couple of others. Um, yeah, again, big, big divergence. So, I, and you know, I, I looked at these 
before we saw the sell-off uh, last night. So as I said, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. Last night in the US, pretty big sell-off on the NASDAQ. It was down over 2%. Now, whether that's just a short-term blip uh, or not, uh, who knows? But to me, this is a warning sign that suggests mm-hmm. momentum has has dropped off. Uh, prices still kept running, but now you're starting to see this is the uh, FANGS index. Now, now you're starting to see this this turn turn down. Uh, so not enough technical damage to really say uh, the the the, the rally is done. Uh, but to me, this is just an indicator to say yeah, you want to be watching out. Um, yeah. And I think um, Apple is reporting its results. I think our time. Overnight, so tomorrow. Yes, that's so right. It'll be interesting to see how how the market reacts to that. I think with the, I think with Facebook and Microsoft, I think the market wasn't really that giddy about its latest results. So we'll see if that continues with uh, with Apple. And I think also Uber released its results and it finally announced an operating profit, but the market wasn't really that interesting. I think it sold off as well. So maybe the mood is shifting. Yeah, you'd think so. And this is why uh, we spoke about this last week in the valuation episode. I just, especially with companies like Uber, I'm just not wired to understand um, how that works. And it's not surprising that it sold off on its maiden earnings. (laughs) Uh, The irony, uh, it rallied when it didn't have any and it sells off when it's got some. So uh, that makes perfect sense to me when it comes to trying to understand (laughs) tech stocks. But um, yeah, look, I mean, a- Apple, we talked about it. It's a it's a very, very cash-generative business. Uh, there's, you know, nothing inherently wrong with it. Uh, mm. I just think it is, and when we sh- we talked about that equity multiplier last week, I mean, it's, mm. it's quite leveraged to top-line growth. So if there are any surprises in, in terms of sales and, and the market does reassess uh, future sales forecasts, then this share price can fall quite sharply. So, um, mm. yeah, by the time... People are watching and listening to this. The Apple numbers will be out and it won't be shown up. It won't be reflected in this chart, but uh, just something to keep in mind, especially given you can just see it there. There was a sharp sell-off overnight ahead of those results. So there's some investors clearly not interested in hanging around for the result. They just wanted to ride this ride this trend up and then get out when they think it's uh, the time. The good times are over. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Kirill, I was going to say, it's not all bad news. I wanted to just point out a couple of... Uh, yeah. An area of the market that we have been uh, talking yep. about uh, from time to time, and that's the energy market. So mm-hmm. this is uh, the US oil price, West Texas Intermediate. It's been a long bear market bottoming out here and it now starting to turn back around. Uh, similar situation for Brent crude starting to turn back up. Of you know, no surprise that it's going to have a bit of a bit of a correction after such a long run. Mm-hmm. But I'd certainly be looking at you know wanting to if you haven't got a position or you wanted to rebuild positions, I'd be looking at doing something around about these levels. Um, and mm-hmm. then if you wanted a way to play the oil price from the Aussie market, this is something I've got in our portfolios at Fat Tail Investment Research. This is the Better Shares Crude Oil Index ETF uh, hedged for Aussie dollar exposure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that looks like a nice sort of basing bottoming pattern that, that looks to be turning up as well. Uh, so any weakness that we do see on the back of these, uh, the main oil, uh, commodities, uh, might be a time mm-hmm. to just take a little position in here. I would point out though, that this is, 
not necessarily uh, 100% uh, linked to WTI mm-hmm. or, or crude. The way that uh, gold, uh, sorry, the way that oil futures contracts work, you can have contango or backwardation that either mm-hmm. enhances or subtracts from the performance. So uh, just be clear that it's not a it's not an exact replica of it, uh, but it does work a little bit in the in the same trend and it just looks like the trend's turning up and it might be a good time to mm-hmm. to have a look at it yeah and i think i don't mean maybe you want to steal your thunder but you have been well you've been researching the speaking of energy you've been researching the energy transition i think for maybe over a year now i think re- recently you've been starting to conduct some interviews with some key players in the energy sector um, and I think maybe I just want to give a heads up to the viewers that I think maybe in the coming weeks, you may conduct some interviews on this podcast with some with some experts regarding the energy transition. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I know uh, listeners will be gutted if they don't hear from you for a couple of weeks, Kirill. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do it as a maybe as a bonus or a special uh, yeah. special issue. Yeah, I, I've been chatting to some uh, people within the industry uh, that I think uh, if we're talking about what's not priced in, I think this energy transition uh, is not priced in in that it's not correctly understood. And all we hear in the mainstream media is that you know there's huge amounts of money going into it. There's need for copper and critical metals, and we're going to have cheaper energy mm-hmm. on the back of it. Not saying that that's not necessarily true. There is a huge amount of money going into that sector, but I just mm-hmm. think uh, it's not going to happen on the timelines that we're being told, and it's going to cost a lot more than we're being told, yeah. which is going to in turn, have ramifications for inflation, ramifications for standard of living, productivity growth, all that sort of stuff. And I've been speaking to some uh, pretty interesting people uh, in Australia uh, on this, and we'll, we'll run those interviews as a special bonus edition for for what's not priced in. So if you do get um, notifications that uh, more than one's popping up in the week, uh, yep. give it a watch. Yep. Okay. That's great. And I think um, maybe I wanted to turn... Uh, the discussion back to maybe an overarching theme, maybe about uh, free lunches. So if you read any economics textbook, it always says there's no such thing as a free lunch. So I wanted to ask you, you know, I think the markets and especially maybe over in the US are definitely pricing in a very optimistic scenario where uh, the Fed pulls off a soft landing. There's no, um, there's no recession and the stock market is sort of just going to continue gliding upward. So do you think that's sort of the market betting on this elusive free lunch? Uh, probably. I mean, the, the market always hopes there's a free lunch. And funnily enough, uh, the free lunches always appear just before it gets taken away. You know, all the sandwiches yep. are off the table. <laughs> everything's gone. Yep. Uh, I, I mean, I, I distinctly remember in uh, 2007, uh, I was flying to the Gold Coast for a conference and I was speaking at this conference uh, and I was quite young, at the, well, younger, mm-hmm. I was quite young at the time and I was reading some research because I was sort of, uh, I was a little bit bearish at the time, but the market was at all-time highs and it was October, mm-hmm. I think it was October 2007. And I remember giving this speech about, you know, the Aussie market's looking good, but there's, you know, pockets of weakness and it just, I felt like I was really, uh just out of place in in giving that mm-hmm. sort of speech. There was a lot of bullishness around. People just wanted to hear, uh, what do yeah. I buy? You know, what's what's mm-hmm. the next stock to run? And I, and I can't remember the exact date, but it wasn't long after that that the market peaked and we went into 
literally 2008 and the whole mm-hmm. mortgage mortgage meltdown. I think the way the market works sometimes is people just don't people don't look ahead too much and they look at price and they interpret price as being reality. And yep. in many cases, that is that is the case. And you know, I always like to think that the market knows a lot more than me, and mm-hmm. you mostly should defer to the market. But there are times where fundamentals and technicals diverge and Mm -hmm. you sort of say well that doesn't make sense if the market wants to Mm -hmm. keep doing that if it wants to think there's a free lunch off you go and try and get your hand near the sandwiches and then you know the closer it gets the closer it gets to being taken away and personally i think we're pretty close to that point um Mm -hmm. if you look at and one thing i like to do a lot is just look at uh headlines and look and see Mm -hmm. what people are thinking through headlines. And one we we highlighted in a business call earlier this week was the Rio Tinto chief saying that yep. uh, Rio was a tech company. And <laughs> I get, you know, when you look, read the article, I get what he was saying, yeah. but it just strikes me as, you know, almost being like Chuck Prince's, you know, you've got to uh, keep, I can't remember what it was, you've got to keep dancing when the music's playing or mm. something like that. It was just, hang on, you're a mining company. Yes, yeah. you use technology to lower your, your costs, but it, it was just one of those headlines that spoke that said to me, "Are we pretty close to the top here?" You know, a mining, mm-hmm. a mining CEO saying that they're a tech company. It just, it was just one of those classic signs of you know these are the sort of the market never rings a bell, but sometimes mm-hmm. you know there's certain things that happen that you just go, that doesn't sound right. That's uh that's a bit of a warning sign for me. So you know perhaps the uh, the free lunch is on its way out the door, mate. Yeah, definitely. So we'll we'll definitely try to revisit his his comments in six to twelve months and see whether he still thinks he's a tech company. But I think that's sort of a, a nice sort of way to to wrap up the discussion. Right now, the market is sort of trading like there's a buffet, but maybe they'll realize that the bill is going to come due and it's going to be a bit more expensive than they thought. Or another analogy: all the sandwiches are going to get taken away. Absolutely. So that's not what's priced in. And in saying that, uh, I don't think it's. Just to be clear, it's not a 2007 moment. Yep. Like we don't have uh, a mortgage issue. We've got mm-hmm. an over, overvalued stock market, which happens from time to time. And all I'm waiting for is for that realignment of value to say, okay, interest rates are here, stocks are here. When they come back into line a little bit, when when we start seeing a bit more bearish sentiment and bearish headlines, that's when you know, okay, it's time to deploy some of that cash we've been sitting on if you've been a prudent, patient investor. Uh, so mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying is not a time to panic. That's a time just to be patient and wait for mm-hmm. stocks to come back into your buying range and uh, then you can go to town. Yep. And if you think there's a free sandwich lying around, always, Try and always double check. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I think we'll end it there. Thanks, Greg, and see you next week. Cheers, Kirill. Thanks for listening and watching and don't forget the comments, guys. Thank you. Yep. See ya. Thanks for joining What's Not Priced In, your weekly source of unique ideas in the Australian stock market. If you've enjoyed this episode, please show your support by following us on your chosen platform and turn those post notifications on so you don't miss a thing. And uh, stay tuned for the upcoming episodes as we delve into new topics, new trends and new stocks. Thanks for your support. Hope to see you next week.